0: So, I have a very personal story about my ex-boyfriend from way back when I was a 16-year-old girl. Back then, as most kids do, I thought I was invincible, and like no one could tell me what to do or run my life. I had it in my head that anyone that tried to give me advice or told me that I should do anything was trying to control me, and I was unwilling to listen to them. Basically, I was your stereotypical teenage girl that was in love with the first guy that had paid any attention to her. The problem was that he, in and of himself, was a problem. He was twenty, and had a car, and was into a few substances... I never dove down that rabbit hole with him, but I was there when he would use, so I saw what it did to him, how he would get, and so on. I'm pretty sure it goes without saying that my parents did not like me being with a 20-year-old guy that was a user, and was probably on a list down at the local police station of people to watch. That. Plus the fact that, again, I was 16 at the time, this all took place. Yeah, they really didn't like me being with him. Unfortunately, my parents were... pushovers. They never found that balance of being assertive and being relaxed. They would tell me that I wasn't allowed to see him, and I would just roll my eyes and laugh. Then, I would say I was going over to my friend Lisa's house and would just meet him at the corner of the street. They knew, they just never stopped me, which is ultimately what caused this whole thing to play out. For my ex, we're going to go with the name Jason. Obviously, that's not his name, but it works. Jason was one of those guys that literally gave zero cares, and that's probably where I developed that mentality. If it helps to explain the dynamic between he and I, we met at school. Now, I know what you may be thinking. You were 16, he was 20, so it could have been you were a freshman and he was a senior type of situation if the two of you were together for two years prior to the event. But nope, that would actually almost have been a better situation than what it was. Jason was actually hired as a janitor at my school during my sophomore year, so when we met, he was an adult in authority at my school, and I was a clueless 16-year-old girl. And as all wonderful romances go, we actually first spoke during lunchtime when I went to throw my trash away, and he was cleaning up a mess on the floor by the garbage cans. Looking back, the fact that he talked to me and hit on me back when I was a student raises a lot of red flags. But at the time, I was just happy to be getting positive attention. Because as non-controlling as my parents were, they were also just simply not present in most of my life. So, now that you know who Jason is, and the fact that he was obviously a predator, I think it's best to get into the events that took place. At this point, we had been together for a few months, probably close to four or five, and the school year was getting close to being over. At this point, I hadn't had a whole lot of time to spend with Jason, as I'd been cramming for my finals, because deep down, I was still that nerdy girl that wanted to get good grades, and despite the fact that my grades had been kind of slipping, I was not going to fail my 10th grade year. Because I was studying, I wasn't seeing Jason as much as he had liked, which he made obvious every time he saw me in school. He would pull me away into an empty section of the hallway to make out with me and grope me. By this point, we hadn't consummated our relationship completely, and he'd been pretty good about keeping his hands off of me while we were in the school building. But around this time, he started to not seem to care as much. It was like the less he saw me, the more hands-on he would get when he did see me. Unfortunately for him, this was the early 90s, and our school did have cameras. And... I think you can see where this is kind of going. He ended up getting fired, and the school threatened that they were going to have to give the footage to the police, as I was a minor. Now, you may think that this is where the story ends, but no. It's not. This was more the cause of what actually happened. On the day that Jason got fired... He drove back up to the school near the end of the day and waited for me out front. As I walked out to get on the bus, he shouted out to me and waved for me to come over. I was a bit confused, as he usually got off the shift after I got home, but it was a nice surprise, so I hopped into his van and we drove away. Now, at first, I thought we were just going to do the normal things that we did when we were together but something seemed a bit different this time around. He looked agitated and almost scared. I tried to ask him about what was wrong, and he shushed me, which was really strange to me. I let it go for a little while, but I then quickly realized that we weren't heading in the direction of anything that I knew, so I asked him again what was going on. He pulled over into the parking lot of a store, and just kind of sat there for a moment, staring out into the empty space. I wasn't sure what to do, so I sat there in silence for a little while with him, and just accepted that something was going on, and that he would tell me what it was eventually. After a bit of this, he asked me if I loved him, which was a strange thing to ask, especially sitting in a Kmart parking lot. Now, at this point, there hadn't been an exchange of I love yous between us. I was still shy about things, and while there had been some intimacy that happened, it never went all the way, and we never talked about love. However, I was a child, with a child brain, and that's the honest truth. He was in a position of power over me because he was an adult, and he had the authority. And I thought that what we had was, in fact, love. Being the dumb little girl that I was, I told him that I did love him. He then asked if I wanted to be with him, and again, I told him that I wanted to be with him more than anything else. He nodded while it looked like he was starting to cry. He then told me that he had been fired from the school because they saw us kissing on the cameras. I thought that this was the whole problem, that he'd been fired and that it was my fault. I know now it wasn't my fault, but back then I blamed myself. So I thought that he was going to break up with me or something, and I told him I was so sorry that it happened, and then mentioned that it was because of me and that I would try to tell the school that I should be the one punished and not him. He then says that he didn't care about the job, he cared about losing me, and that not being at the school meant that he would never see me again. He threw in a few flattering adjectives there to, I guess, really lighten the mood, and then looked me straight in the eyes and told me that he loved me and wanted to be with me forever. At this point, I was bawling and telling him that I was sorry that I wanted to be with him too, which he took as the go-ahead for his… plan. His plan was to drive off into the sunset with me in the passenger seat and… I guess live with me forever in his minivan? I really don't know what he was thinking long-term, or if he was at all at that moment, but he looked at me and said, "'They're not going to take you away from me. You're mine.' I kind of just nodded and said okay, unsure of what exactly that meant, but he put the car in drive and took off from the parking lot toward the highway. Now, at first, the adrenaline and excitement of running away from the city that I had always known, and from my life, was great. I was excited to get out onto the road and be free from whatever burdens there were of being a suburban 16-year-old girl. Whatever that means. We drove until around 1 or 1.30 in the morning, just going straight out until he felt like he couldn't drive anymore. I didn't have my license, so our only option was to pull off somewhere and sleep. My thought was, of course, a hotel or a motel. His plan was for us to sleep in the cluttered area in the back of the van. So... We crawled back there and I told him goodnight, which was not part of his plan. I'm not going to get into the entire detail of everything that happened here, because I don't want to relive a lot of it, and some readers may have dealt with similar trauma. I'm just going to say that he wanted it, I told him no and that I wasn't personally ready for it, and then it happened anyway. This was the first point where he was ever physically violent or aggressive with me. Prior to this, minus the groping and the few other sexual things that had happened between us, he had never been aggressive. This was to the point that he hurt me. And that's where I'm going to leave that. The next morning was obviously awkward. I felt like he had violated my trust and violated me, but... I also felt like maybe that was... a normal feeling. Mostly because I had no idea what normal was in this circumstance. It was weird. Because he wouldn't look at me when we woke up. And he barely even spoke to me when we got on the road. It was like he knew what had happened was wrong, but... instead of facing it, he had to shut me out. We got back on the highway and started to head west, which I guess was his plan. But while we drove, he just kept staring forward and not speaking, not looking at me, not even acknowledging me. Every time I would say something, he would give a short answer or just ignore me. Again, I felt like I had done something wrong here, like I had done something to make him mad, and I was so very confused about the whole situation." Then I said something that I guess I shouldn't have. I asked him when we were going to go back home. I don't know why I asked this. I don't know what made me think we would ever be going back home, like this wasn't seriously a kidnapping, but I just straight up asked him, when are we going to go back? As soon as I asked this, he launched into a tirade about how much of an ungrateful bitch I was. How I obviously didn't love him, and how he was disgusted with the fact that he had given himself to me, only for me to be so ungrateful. This went on for quite a while. I just started crying and staring out at the road while he screamed at me and berated me. I think it was at this point that I realized I may have made a mistake. Better late than never, right? We drove for a while longer until he pulled off the highway and parked at a gas pump, and then said that he needed to fill the tank up. He handed me a $20 bill, and told me to go pay the man inside. At this point, I think I was a literal mess, having not showered, slept in a hot van all night, been on the road for almost 24 hours, and sobbing endlessly, but I told him okay and I walked into the gas station to give the clerk the money. As soon as I got in, and I went to hand him the cash, I glanced over to get the pump number, and I watched as Jason started the van and drove off. I just stood there and watched this man that had taken me from my home and taken what was left of my innocence abandon me in an off-the-highway gas station. I had no idea where I was, I had no money other than the $20, and this was the early 90s, so I didn't have a cell phone. All I had was my small shoulder bag, and I carried it more for aesthetic than utility. Standing there, watching him drive away, and then looking at the clerk who was just staring at me confused... I think that was the most surreal moment of my life. I just kind of blinked and opened my mouth to talk, and then puked what little I'd eaten for the past day on the floor of his store. He told his co-worker to call 911 for me, and ran over to stop me from falling onto the ground, and just kept telling me that I was going to be okay. The ambulance showed up, as well as the police, and they took me to a nearby hospital for checkup. Around this time was actually when I learned where I was. He had abandoned me at a gas station about an hour away from Colorado Springs, and to tell you how far that was, we lived close to central Illinois. He had driven me across our home state, through part of Missouri, most of Kansas, and then into Colorado, and just left me there. After violating me. After I got to the hospital and was given fluids and food to get me stable, the police started asking questions. And that's when I let the floodgates open. I told them everything. I told them about Jason, who he was, what we were. I told them about what he had done the night before, everything up to the point that he left me at the gas station... I dug my home phone number out of my purse and asked them to please call my parents. They took it, and they told me to try to relax while they took the situation from there. And let me tell you, I absolutely did. I think I passed out as soon as they left the room. The next thing I remember was being woken up and told that my parents had been contacted, and that they were on their way to come and get me. Obviously... I had a lot of explaining to do to my parents about everything. I told them about what had happened, and I apologized non-stop for putting them through this. I know I probably scared them to death when I didn't come home that night, and I can imagine they were terrified when they got a call from a Colorado police department saying they were calling about their daughter. The police did eventually catch Jason. He was heading to California, and after they learned about it, they put out a call to look for his car. They pulled him over, and they arrested him from there. Thankfully, me being a minor, and the cameras at the station catching him pulling up and me getting out of the car, alongside the footage of what had happened at the school, was enough to put him away for a very long time, on a number of charges. Those charges include kidnapping, of course. I had to testify against him, and explain how he had manipulated me, but after that, I never saw him again. Now, I won't say it was easy getting past this whole thing. Thankfully, I wasn't pregnant after that night, which was a real fear of mine. I did have to go to a therapist for a while to really work through it, though, and eventually... I was able to say that it was not my fault, that he had coerced me, and that I was a child being led by an adult in this situation. This was around 30 years ago at this point, and while it still does bring back those uncomfortable feelings, it's more important for me to look forward and remember that I am a stronger person now. I have a life that I'm happy with, and he'll be rotting in prison until he's at least in his 60s. Back in my early 30s, I started getting that feeling like I was running out of time to find that one person to spend the rest of my life with. It didn't help that many of my close friends were getting married and having kids, so... I decided to try dating apps. I definitely had my share of flops, but then I ended up meeting a guy named Leo. He was a great guy at first, too. He was working at a warehouse when we first met, but he had big aspirations to start his own business. He wanted to repair and restore computers and other electronics. He was going to school for business as well, and with his dad owning his own business, he made it seem like he was going to help him out with it as well. So, he seemed to have his work life figured out. He was handsome, funny, smart, so it all seemed to work out for me. We were dating for probably six to eight months, I believe, and since we hadn't had any issues, I suggested he move in with me. I even agreed to clean out my spare room so he could turn it into an office or workshop so that he could start on his business. He got his workshop set up, I helped him with buying some of the equipment that he needed, got him business cards, and we even set up a website for him. I was working as an executive assistant, so I thought if this all worked out, I could help him with it, and we could possibly do this together. However, I started learning that he was the type that wanted, or needed, instant gratification. He started posting his services, and when he didn't get any responses within the next day or so, he started to get discouraged. I tried to be optimistic, but he would always shoot it down. So finally, after a few days of moping, he got a call for an offer. Someone was needing something done on their computer, so they came by, dropped it off, and off to the office he went to work on it. I tried going in there a little later, but he pretty much ignored me. I tried asking if he wanted something to drink or anything, and he got mad at me saying that I was interrupting him. That was the closest thing I'd had to a fight with him, and I didn't know how to take it, so I just went to bed. He did finally come to bed, and was being really affectionate, so I let it go, thinking it was just the stress of a first customer, maybe. So he turned it in, he did what they needed, and they left a review for him, so he was feeling pretty good about it. However, he wanted to quit his job after just this one job, and he was adamant that everything would work out. Now, I made decent money, but it wasn't going to be enough to cover everything we had going at the time. I was still paying for the rent alone. He offered to, but I told him it was fine as long as he continued to pay for his car, since I had to pay for my own. He was also still in school, but he did have a few months left, so I wanted him to focus more on finishing that first. I also paid for the utilities and groceries, but he did help with the groceries on occasion. For the most part, he used his money for his business. I was worried that we wouldn't make enough right now to afford everything if he quit his job without any backup plan, However, his thought was that it would totally work out, but if it didn't, then he would just go to work for his dad until it did. And, with me being a little nervous still, I accepted that. As you may have guessed, this did not work out. At all. I thought since he was so set on this being his career that he knew what he was doing and had quite a bit of knowledge on electronics and tech stuff. However, that was not the case. I quickly started learning that he knew the pretty basic stuff, like how to run some diagnostics, how to replace hard drives, RAM, and download software, but other than that, he did not know what he was doing. People would bring in their systems, from desktops to laptops cell phones, and even gaming consoles. And he would be watching videos on YouTube on how to do something, calling his friends to get help, all kinds of things. When I tried suggesting that he list specific things he could do to avoid this, he didn't want to hear it. He kept saying I was putting him down, so I gave up on trying to help or be a part of his deal. I let it go and continued to pay for the things that we needed thinking it'll turn around and things will be fine but that would never happen. He ended up completely screwing up someone's computer and he had to pay for a new one which meant that I had to help. So I started making his car payments because business wasn't picking up like he expected and he was running out of money. This continued on for several months. I tried everything I could to help, but he was not budging on his changes. He also dropped out of school, saying that it wasn't helping him so he didn't need it anymore. He continued to cause more issues so he would have to replace things, or refund people so the money was not coming in. Then, he pretty much just gave it all up. I would come home and he would be sitting in the living room, barely dressed, watching TV or something. I would ask if he had any jobs, if he did anything to improve or add to his services, and he would get defensive. I tried for the longest time to do anything that I could to help, but words can only go so far. It doesn't make the pocketbook bigger. So, when it got down to me not being able to afford all of the expenses anymore... I told him he had to get a job, even if it meant with his dad. He did not like this idea, at all, and pretty much just refused to do so. I was never really an aggressive person, so I just nagged him about it, and explained this to my parents asking what I should do, and they told me that I should give him an ultimatum. That was one of the hardest things that I had to do because I did still care for him. However, when I told him this, I saw a side of him that I never had before. He threw quite the tantrum. He punched a hole in my wall, kicked and dented my fridge, knocked over one of my lamps and trashed his workshop, and then left. He was gone for a few days and then basically said in a long text that we were over since I didn't believe in him or had his back. This hurt me because, again, I didn't want him to leave, but that's what he chose. So, he came back, got his stuff, while me and my dad were there, and he stopped calling or texting me and didn't say one word to me. As mentioned, I was pretty hurt by this but I did my best to move on and kept myself busy between friends and family and repairing things. Life went on as normal, but then weird things started happening in my condo. I would get home, and I would go to make something for dinner, and realize that I was really low or out of something that I was sure that I had. I of course just thought I was mistaken though and moved on, but then things started disappearing that I knew I had, like toilet paper that I had just bought, and I would notice the pack was open and used. So I started calling the rental office to ask about maintenance, and if they used any of the tenant's stuff while they were there. And they said they would look into it because they weren't supposed to be, and that was it. However, it then turned into things coming up missing like some of my jewelry, or clothing, or other things like that. I was going to put in a complaint, but then came to the conclusion that I noticed the missing items after the maintenance was done, and couldn't confirm if these items were missing when they weren't around. So, I was rather frustrated that this was happening, but I had no proof of any of it. My dad then suggested that I install a camera pointing at my front and back doors to see if anyone came in, and he even helped me to get it set up. As time went on, I would notice more things used, missing, uh, lights left on, but when I would check the cameras, it would say it was offline. Now, I was worried that someone was getting in, and that they somehow knew about the cameras and were deactivating them. Feeling unsafe at this point, I went out with a friend from work, Stephen, just to not be home. I told him what had been happening, and Stephen was a nice kid. He was in his mid-twenties, I believe, and he was also a tech and hardware guy at my work. I had even asked him on multiple occasions what to do on certain systems or computers for not only my personal computer but also when Leo was working on something as well, since he wouldn't involve me in anything, so he knew about him too. He knew that we had split up, and I told him about the concerns with the cameras and everything, so he offered to take a look at said cameras. I thought this was a great idea, as I trusted him with that kind of stuff, and I had him follow me home. We got back to my place... He looked at the cameras and the website and app that I used for it to see what could be the issue. He didn't think it was faulty, since it seemed to happen around the same time every day, give or take an hour or so. He thought that someone may have actually been doing it on purpose. This, of course, had me worried, as who would want to target me. I didn't exactly have any enemies. Steven then showed me where on the app... I could turn the cameras on or off or delete video history, and he asked me if anyone else had access to the camera, and I told him no. No one but him now and my parents even knew about it. He suggested that I change all of my login information, just to be safe, and then did a malware scan on my computer. The most terrifying part about all of this was that he actually found a keylogger on my laptop, so he did some things to it and had me change a lot of passwords. I actually learned not to use easy passwords and reuse them due to this. Since it was getting late, I had ordered dinner for us and offered to let him stay the night as well. I grabbed some blankets from the closet in the spare bedroom, and that's when I noticed they seemed to have been strewn all over the place. My first thought was that Leo did this back when he was grabbing all of his stuff, and then went back to give them to Stephen. I went to bed in my room, but it couldn't have been very long until I started hearing yelling and things being broken. I ran into my living room to see Stephen being held down by Leo. I immediately ran over to them to try and get him to stop when Leo had knocked me down. He must have noticed what he did, because he took off. After making sure that Steven was okay, I called the cops. I explained everything that had happened to them. Even though he was practically strangling him, he said he didn't want to press charges, but the cops still did because he technically hit both of us. However, that's when everything started coming together. They asked how we would have gotten in, and I realized that he probably still had a key. So then I started thinking... He was probably coming in, using my stuff, eating my food, and who knows what else. But why was he never on camera? That's when Steven said he probably saw the cameras and figured out my login credentials. Being that he knew at least some things, he was probably the one that put the keylogger on my laptop too, and was monitoring everything I did. I felt so vulnerable at that time and was so worried about being watched and spied on. He's the one that chose to leave, too. I didn't make him do so. I was thankful that Steven still even wanted to talk with me after all this, but he helped me with nearly wiping my computer, setting up encryption and password stuff, and I even got a new phone, worried that he may have done something to that, too. I also realized that Under all of those blankets were some of his tools that he was hiding there so he could work on stuff while I wasn't home, so I also changed the locks as well. Leo did come and get all of his stuff, while I had a cop and Steven there as well, and I never heard from him again. He tried adding me on Facebook too, but every time he did, I blocked him and changed my password again. That's probably more on the paranoid side, but... I don't want this to ever happen again. So be safe out there, people, and don't be so trusting, no matter how desperate you may feel. This story involved me, but my mother was the true target. Back when I was about 13 or so, my parents moved from Ohio to Kentucky. Apparently, they were both born and raised there, but had moved to Ohio at some point and were now moving back. I'd only been there a few times when we went to visit family, so it was definitely going to be a new experience for me. I seemed to do alright, right. Being an outgoing, younger girl, I was quick to make friends. My parents met up with old friends and introduced me and their kids as well, so it worked out. I became pretty good friends with one of them, and even babysat a few of them as well. A little under a year into us moving back, our neighbors across the street moved out. And after seeing a couple going in and out and some renovations being done, a new family moved in. Before my parents could go over and introduce themselves, though, someone was knocking on our door. I answered it to see an older guy, probably close to my parents' age. He looked very nice and super tall. I remember he leaned down and smiled at me and said, Huh, you must be Carla's kid. I knew that that was my mom's name, and I didn't get any weird vibes from him, so I confirmed and asked if he was looking for her, to which he nodded. So I shouted for my mom and invited him in. He walked in, but stayed right in the mudroom area. When my mom came into the room, she smiled and looked surprised. The guy smiled and greeted her, and she went up and hugged him, That's when she introduced him as Jim, and told me that she had went to school with him, and they started talking a bit. She explained that she had moved out of state, and that they had recently moved back here, and he looked surprised and teased her about why would she be moving back, and she mentioned being homesick, and her father-in-law, my grandfather, not doing very well. He again seemed shocked about her response, And then she started calling for my dad. He came in, and they shook hands, but I remembered at that point he looked worried about something. I remembered this because my dad was also a big guy, and people often seemed scared of him, so I kind of figured that that's what it was. He actually built houses for a living, so he was always super tall and a heavier build. He typically had a long beard and was bald, so he could definitely look intimidating, but he truly was a gentle giant. He was like your stereotypical biker, but he also hated bikes. He's hilarious. Anyways, they didn't talk very long after that. He mentioned next time he would come over to introduce his wife, and then left. There was nothing too strange about this interaction, a few days later, though, I came home from a friend's house and saw my mom, Jim, and a lady that I would learn was his wife sitting in our living room and talking. I was introduced to Tammy, his wife, but I noticed that she did not seem as nice as Jim was. My mom asked how school was and how my friend was, and I started talking about something I made or did in school, and my mom congratulated me and Jim became really excited about it. He said something like, That's incredible. You're a really smart kid. You must be so proud of her. My parents told me when I did a great job, so I wasn't ignored or neglected, but the way that he was so ecstatic about it, it made me pretty happy too. And that's when he touched Tammy's stomach and said he hoped his kid was as smart as I was. Being a kid, I just made an offhand comment that I would help with babysitting if they ever needed one. Jim was smiling and about to say something, when Tammy made a comment about being a stay-at-home, and it wouldn't be necessary. Her reactions just, they seemed really weird. Like it made me feel like I had said something wrong. Jim said something about it being their first kid, and my mom just told me to go do my homework. From then on, I seemed to see a lot of Jim. When I was out riding my bike, I would see him and he would wave me over and ask me about my day, ask me what kind of activities I was into, just things like that. He would then ask me about my mom, what she was doing, what she was making for dinner, and even what she liked to do in her spare time. I didn't think it was that weird at first, since they were friends, and I would just answer the best I could. Then, he would make comments about how pretty I was, and how much I looked like her. She had dark hair and dark eyes, whereas my dad had orange-slash-reddish hair, or beard, at least, so I always thought that I looked a lot more like my mom. Again, I thought it seemed normal and I would ask him if he wanted to talk to my mom or something like that, but then he would always ask me if my dad was around. When I would tell him he was home, he would quickly make a comment about being busy or say no thanks, and then go back to his house. Thinking back, he never seemed to want to be around when my dad was home as well. Slowly, it would get weirder, though. I noticed that He started to change his appearance. He would dress differently, he started gaining weight, growing a beard, and then at one point even shaved his head. I remember at one time saying at dinner that Jim looked like dad now, and while my dad laughed, my mom just chuckled but looked a little uncomfortable about it. And that's when things really went downhill. I came home from school one day, and he stopped me as I was getting the mail, and he asked me to help him with something in his house. I didn't think anything of it, as he'd given me things before and went in. When I did, he showed me pictures of a little girl and asked if I knew who that was. When I told him that I didn't, he said it was a picture of me as a small child, and I had no reason to not believe him. The girl had dark hair, dark eyes, and she reminded me of myself, and that's whenever he explained. He said that my mom had given him that picture because of a secret she had kept, and that secret was that he was actually my dad. She said that the reason they moved away was because the man that I called my father wanted to run away with my mom, being that he was jealous of Jim but she wanted him to at least have a photo of me. I didn't believe him at first, how could he be my father? Why would another man take me in as his own, or at least not tell me the truth? And then I remembered what he looked like, having identical features of my mom, and it kind of messed me up. I told him I had to leave, and he told me to promise that I wouldn't tell my fake dad, so that we wouldn't get hurt. I promised, went home, and immediately told my mother. I did tell her when it was just her, though, just in case there was any truth to it. To say that she was livid, that would be an understatement. She assured me that my dad was my real dad, and that there was no way he could have been my father, considering they moved out of the state long before I was even thought of. Which made sense to me. She then told me to try and avoid him as much as possible, and she made sure to meet me at the driveway for the bus to pick me up and drop me off, so he wouldn't be able to stop me either, worried he may try to do something else. I agreed. And later that night, I heard my parents talking about it because, of course, I was still a nosy kid that loved both of their parents. And I was worried that This may cause them to get a divorce. Don't worry, it didn't. My mom was furious about it, but my dad seemed calmer, saying that if he tried anything, he would be prepared. The first time I got off the bus, my mom was waiting there for me. We started walking back home when we saw Jim walking toward us, smiling. My mom told me not to say anything to him, and as he approached us he tried asking my mom how she was when she cut him off. She said some pretty mean things to him, including that he was delusional and that he needed help, and that he needed to avoid me at all costs if he wanted to see the birth of his own child. He honestly looked like he was about to cry behind his fake smile. And with that, he didn't say anything else, and he just turned around and went home. However, while we wouldn't see Jim again, we would see Tammy, banging on our door, yelling expletives. I was in the dining room, doing my homework at the table, and I remember jumping because of the banging. My mom answered the door, and she immediately started calling her names and threatening her. I went into the living room to see what was going on, and I remember her calling her a, a home wrecker specifically she then tried to hit my mom with a golf club and got her in the leg and my mom didn't really want to do anything to her because she was pregnant she finally got the door closed and she had me call the cops while she did so tammy managed to run back to her house and the cops showed up at hours and my mom explained what all had happened and that's about when my dad got home too They both decided together not to press charges. My dad's choice, not my mom's, though. But they were able to get a protective order, so she wasn't allowed to come over here again. My mom started picking me up from school, though, just to be safe. And every once in a while, we would see Jim sitting out on his front porch, but nothing more. After some time, we hardly saw any trace of them, like the cars were never in the driveway. We saw a few people come over and go over that were not Jim or Tammy, and then eventually started seeing less and less activity in the house. That's when my mom started letting me ride the bus again, and life continued as normal, and I had even forgotten about it until recently. My parents are still together to this day, and they love to tease each other, and after my mom got a discount on her Starbucks one day... And my dad made the comment about there being another crazy ex. (laughs) And that's when they actually started talking to me about what had happened. Apparently, he was an ex-boyfriend that she had in high school, but he became really weird and clingy, so she broke it off with him. And then he got even weirder. She completely forgot about it after graduating, getting married, moving on, so it never actually crossed her mind. When we moved back, she wasn't really worried about it since they were all adults and knowing he was married with a kid on the way. Apparently that wasn't the case though, and not only did he try to continue to persuade my mother to leave my dad, he also tried convincing me I was his daughter. This was all found out by his wife, Tammy, who then became enraged and that's what caused her to be so off-putting around me and trying to start a fight with my mother, I guess. They then told me that she had moved out, and he followed shortly after, based on information she got from neighbors and friends. So there's that. My mom had a weird ex-boyfriend that tried to convince me that I was his kid, and every other plan that he had had failed. So, I hope that he and Tammy are happy with their lives, wherever it is they are now. But also, I hope to never meet either one of them ever again. This is a true story. I know many people say that, but this is from my own personal experience and everything I'm about to say is true. My mom, grandma, and I moved into this house when I was in fourth grade. It's not a nice house in a nice area. The outside brick is green in places, the base of the house is crumbling away and rotten, inside there was mold, and the roof leaked in places. The thing that I didn't like the most... It was how I felt when I was standing outside. Like I was being watched. What happened next is a long list of events that I will never forget as long as I live. It was during the day. I was sitting in bed after school pretending to do homework as I watched cartoons on the TV. I remember I was watching Cyber Chase. At this time... I had a small flat screen. How my room was set up, my bed was under my large window, and my TV was across from my bed, facing my window. Suddenly, my TV started flickering weird broken visuals, and then shut off completely, and as I was going to stand up to investigate what had happened, I noticed a reflection in the now blank screen. It was a shape, behind me in the window. My home is a one-story, so... I immediately froze, fearing someone was watching me in my backyard. The figure wasn't very tall. It only stood at about half of my window. I couldn't make out any features. My thin curtain was hiding them away from me, but I knew from where they were standing that they could see me very clearly. I was mid-standing, so... My body was at a weird angle as I stood frozen, staring at the shape in my window, unmoving. I don't know how long I stood there, but it was enough time to make my legs start to ache. Finally, the figure turned to their side and walked away. I felt like I'd lost all the blood in my face. I still stood there for a few more minutes before getting the courage to crawl on my bed and look out the window. Thankfully, I didn't see anything back there, but ever since that day, I got paranoid, obsessing over wondering if I'll see the shape in my window again. Then, that fear seeped into my dreams. It wasn't every night, but at least once a month, I would have a dream about lying in my bed at night, and when I looked out my window, I would see a shadowy shape in My window. The first time I had that dream, I froze. I couldn't move or do anything out of fear, but eventually, when I had that dream, I would get up on my knees on the bed, and the shape outside would follow me so that it was facing me at eye level from through my thin curtain. Then, I got brave enough to quickly open the curtain, but nothing would be there. Suddenly, it would be daytime in my dream and everything was okay. Then I would wake up the next morning exhausted. Then, things started happening when I was awake again. When I was about thirteen, the tapping started. Three slow and steady taps at my window, and then three more taps. I tried to shrug it off as some branch tapping on my window in the wind. A few days after it started... When I was jumping on my trampoline in the backyard, I stared at my window. I was wondering if what I experienced so far was real, or if I was just crazy. Then, I realized that there was no bush or trees near my window. There was absolutely nothing that could have been tapping on my window. I felt fear take me over, feeling like I was suddenly being watched, I hopped off my trampoline and I ran inside. That night, the tapping came back. This time, rather than nails tapping on the window, it sounded like someone's knuckle rapping on the glass. At this point, I had kind of gotten used to it. Whether the being on the other side of the window was real or imaginary, at <laughs> this time, like in my dream, I got up on my knees on my bed facing the window unsure if the being outside had moved with me to be eye-level from outside like in my dream. I slowly pulled the curtain to the side. I gazed out into the black void of the night. The nightlight that I had illuminating me in my room prevented me from seeing anything beyond the window. I have no idea if there was someone staring back at me, and my heart started pounding but I didn't want to show that I was afraid, so I stayed there, staring. The tapping had stopped as I stared out the window, and eventually I decided I had stared enough, and closed my curtain back and then laid down in bed, somehow finding the will to fall asleep. The tapping would continue for years, but I had learned to just ignore it since that night. Then, something new started, One night during the tapping, I swear that I heard the click of a camera. I tried to shrug it off, but nearly every day I would start to hear the camera go off just beyond the wall. It started to scare me. Had the being started to take pictures? Was there even anything there? And then, I saw a flash as I was looking out the window. The fear apparent on my face and then at the same time I heard the click of that camera. I tried to act calm as I got out of bed, walking out of the room and closing the door. It was early enough that my mom was still awake, and she didn't question when I came into her room wanting to hang out. I still hadn't ever spoken about this to anyone. After that, it was another couple of years before anything else happened, but I started noticing a... Buzzing sound. It started happening at the same time every day, around 3 p.m. It was a loud buzzing. I couldn't figure out where it was coming from for the life of me. My uncle was living with us at this time, and he liked to take his phone calls out in the backyard for privacy reasons. One day, he busts into the house after taking a call outside and told me and my mom that he saw a drone hovering outside my window my heart dropped and that proved that something was real a tangible someone else had seen something and that made the past year's memories feel validated the visitor had upped their game my mom did nothing about it and neither did i what could we do The police wouldn't do anything because no crime had technically been committed that could be proven. So, I just continued to hear the buzzing outside of my window. One day it stopped, though, and again, for a while, I was without another peep. But of course, this thing doesn't want to give up. I finally decided to get a desk, needing one for college work, so I got a tall one that had a lot of storage. I had moved my bed out from under my window, now placing it against an adjoining wall and placing my desk in front of the window. One day, I came home to everything in its place except for two things. I searched for my favorite shirt for a while, but I couldn't find it. Figuring it was just somehow somewhere that I couldn't find, I went to grab socks out of my sock bucket which was just a plastic bin of socks haphazardly thrown in. But what I found wasn't just crumpled socks. On top of my socks was a single sock neatly placed over mine. It was a black sock with gray toes and heel, and all of my socks were short and only black. I grabbed it. I asked my mom and grandma if it was theirs, but I knew they both only wore white socks. It was scary imagining that someone came into my room to not only steal my clothing, but then leave something behind. Like, a creepy gift. I decided to just throw it away. The way my desk is sat, a sliver of the window peeks out at the right side, directly looking over my bed. My window opens right to left, and sadly has no lock on it. So... As I laid in bed, I would stare at that sliver, just waiting for something to happen, but it never did, at least not when I was looking. One day, after I'd calmed down and stopped staring at my window, I looked over and noticed that my curtain was open. For some reason, I wasn't scared. It was during the day, so I could see that there was nothing there, but I knew that someone had opened my curtain from outside. The corner of my room was hard to get to. You'd have to climb over my bed to get to it. And I know it wasn't my mom or my grandma, and it definitely wasn't me. But I left it open for a couple of months, wondering if anything would happen, but never did. I could still feel eyes on me at night, and then one day I looked over and my curtain was closed and since then, nothing has happened. But I still wait for the tapping some nights. To this day, I have no idea who the figure was outside my window, or if they'll return. This experience happened to my aunt and mom before I was even thought of. My mom and dad were just starting to date at the time, and I'll tell it as it was told to me many times over the years. My mom and my aunt, you'll see her in a lot of my stories as H, did everything together. They even worked together. On their days off, they would just get in my mom's car and ride around. We still do this, by the way. It's one of my favorite things. One particular day, they got several calls on the CB radio, this was back in the 60s, from friends or family they would pass asking them who all they're riding around with. Everyone knew that they never took others on their rides. Of course, it was just the two of them. They didn't understand why people were getting upset and asking why they would lie about something so insignificant as who was in the car. My dad even called on the CB and got really upset, because they didn't ask him to go for their ride. It was a sister thing, and yet they seemed to have some other dude with them. He assumed it was H's boyfriend or something. So, my great aunt ended up behind them, really small town in the south, and asked, ''Can y'all pull over and come back to my car and help me with something?'' Kind of confused but willing to help, they said, Of course, and they did so. When they got back to my great aunt's car, she said, Is something going on? Why don't you want anyone to know that you have someone in your car? Thinking, maybe they were being forced or some such, right? My mom was getting upset at this point, and said, For crying out loud, there's no one in the damned car, look. And... Turned and pointed, only to see some guy in their back seat. She swore that he wasn't in there before, and that he must have sneaked in when they were getting gas or something, but they didn't see him at all. They figured he must have been down in the floor or something in hiding, so they radio over to get some guys to come and check it out. This whole time, the guy didn't even fidget some big buff guys, friends and family came over and figured they would give this guy a what for for sneaking into the car and went up to pull the dude out. When they got to the car, he wasn't there. They came back to ask where he went, but looking back at the car, he was still right there. One of the guys actually got into the back seat of the car where you could plainly see this dude and nobody was in the car. From outside the car, you could still see both of them in the back seat. But on the inside, it was only him. Now, growing up and hearing this, I started to think that this has to have grown into the retelling, right? That's purely impossible. So, at different times, I contacted each person that I could who were involved in this, and they each told me the exact story from their point of view. I can't explain it any more than they could. This only ever happened in their cars, it happened in my aunt's car too, and only if it was only one or both of them in the car. This was the first time it happened, but it had happened several times after. The dude could never be seen inside the car, only from the outside. There's another story to this, too. I'll add it if anyone is interested. This one's already too long. (laughs) Edited to add, I just talked to my aunt and she said that, occasionally, they could see the guy in their rearview mirror, but not every time. Not even a lot of the time. Usually, they couldn't see him at all inside the car and she said that he wasn't anyone that they recognized. This story happened about a year later. The person in the back seat was still seen quite frequently in my mom's and aunt's cars, and they became used to it. As I said, occasionally they could see him in their rearview mirror but usually he could only be seen from outside the cars. On this occasion, Mom and H were taking a bit longer ride and were, as was usual, listening to their radio pretty loudly and singing along. Their ride had taken them past their paternal grandmother's gravesite. Now, you all need a little bit of background here. Grandmother S, my great-grandmother, was a A bad mamma jamma. Everyone said she was a witch. And this being the South, anyone even remotely different was called a witch, so pay that no mind. However, this woman was into devil worship. She wasn't a Satanist, there's a huge difference. No, she was into animal sacrifice, blood rituals, all things ugly. And Trust me, she was not... A good person. She detested my granny, the lady who married and had children with her son, because granny wouldn't take any of her crap, and other things that I also won't go into. So, on her deathbed, and this was witnessed by several people, including a doctor, she swore that she would come back through one of granny's children or grandchildren and that she would never allow any of my granny's progeny to live in peace. Although, I'll mention that my papa, her son, it wasn't like her. But his sisters and father were. Is this clear as mud? Anyway, okay, on with the story. On this bright, beautiful day, the road that Mom and H were on was really twisty, and it was a windy, hilly back road. They knew the roads pretty well. They traveled them quite often, and didn't think anything unusual would happen today. They would be wrong. Laughing and singing, all was hunky-dory until they passed the graveyard. They've always gotten chills passing here, but nothing really ever happened to them before. This day, just as they were going past, they actually felt like something got in the car with them. Suddenly, They got cold on a summer day. The radio suddenly cut out, and they said they smelled what they assumed was roadkill, rotting meat, basically. Then, something weighed them down and held them against the seats. Neither one could move at all. They even had trouble taking a deep breath or saying anything, because the weight on their chest was so heavy. Then, Mom, she was driving suddenly felt her foot getting heavier and heavier on the gas pedal. The car was going faster and faster down this winding, twisting road. She couldn't take her foot off the gas. She couldn't move even her other foot to the brake. She couldn't move her hands, not even their heads. Only their eyes could move. The car was going so fast that it was starting to shudder and shake. However... They were kept on the road. They went around the curve safely and they didn't have an accident. Mom was able to glance into the rearview mirror and saw that their passenger was with them again. Suddenly, after what felt like ages, the weight was lifted from them both and they had control of both their body and the car. The cold and the smell was gone, and it was like nothing had ever happened. Of course, they were terribly shaken and they had to pull over to get out of the car. (laughs) They have no idea how they were able to come off that road safely, except to assume that their passenger helped them. Somehow. Now, obviously some of you guys are going to call BS, and that's okay. I was raised on this story, and I still find it hard to believe. However, I will say that I have heard this story from each of them more times than I can count. Neither of them have ever had the slightest change in this story, and to this day neither of them will even tell me where this road is. I know it isn't too far from where I grew up, obviously, but I can't even tell you for sure what county it's in. No one in the family will even speak her name, and even the ones who once knew where she was buried swear they cannot remember when asked. They shut down any questions immediately, and any and all records that they had were destroyed, and back then, nothing was kept outside the family. When I was about four or five, we stayed with some of our family in an old house. Because it was so many people... I usually slept with either my mom or my sister, mostly my mom. I always felt uneasy whenever I visited this house, especially at night. This one night, I was sleeping with my mom, and I heard someone calling out my name. At first, I thought it was my sister or one of my cousins. I got out of the bed, left the room, and went into the hallway, It was always dimly lit at night, in case anyone needed to go to the bathroom. I looked down the hall to the rooms that my sister and cousins were in, but their doors were closed, and I didn't see any lights peeking out from underneath the door, so I knew that they hadn't called me. I heard the voice call my name again, and I immediately turned in the direction of the stairs at the other end of the hall. The voice kept calling my name and telling me they needed my help. I slowly walked down the hall and stopped at the top of the stairs. The hallway light illuminated most of the stairs, except for the bottom two. So I couldn't see anything beyond that point, just darkness. The voice called my name again, but the tone shifted slightly. It was a little more friendly and inviting. It said again that it needed my help. I asked it why it needed my help, but it said it would have to show me for me to understand. It begged me to come down the stairs so that it could show me. I took a step down the stairs, but a voice in my head said that it was a trick. So I yelled down to the voice that it was trying to trick me, and I was going to get my mom. The voice started begging me more to help it, and began to make crying sounds as if it were in pain. I immediately felt bad for it and started taking more steps down the stairs as the voice continued to plead for my help. I got halfway down the stairs when a voice screamed loudly in my ear, Don't take another step. If you do, it'll take you and you won't be able to come back. I stopped immediately frozen where I was. The voice at the bottom of the steps asked me why I had stopped. It told me to keep coming. I yelled no and told it that I knew it was trying to take me away. As I turned to run up the steps, the voice let out a growl of frustration. I was only able to go up one step before hands materialized coming up from the steps that I was on and grabbed my ankles and tried to pull me into the solid wooden stairs. I started screaming to be let go and beating the hands with my little fists, but it only pulled me harder. I felt as if it was starting to pull me into the stairs. I started screaming for my mom and begging it to not take me. All of a sudden, I felt hands around my waist, and a force pulling me up and away from the hands. I looked up, and I saw a being was with me. It materialized from a somewhat smoky state until it became as solid as me. It was levitating in the air as it reached down and had its arms around me, attempting to pull me up and away from the stairs. I clung to the being as if my life depended on it because I knew instinctively that it did. I'm not sure how long this tug-of-war went on, I just remember that the voice at the bottom of the stairs was growling and it was getting louder with frustration, and I was crying and begging the being not to let it take me. Eventually, the being was able to pull me free from the hands. It lifted me up, but I soon realized it was taking me too far up, like it was going to take me through the ceiling. I freaked out and started squirming in its arms, begging it to take me to my mom. It started descending and then set me down in the upstairs hallway, outside the room that my mom was in. I bust through the door. I ran to the bed and started shaking my mom awake. I was hysterical. My mom woke up and asked me what was wrong. I tried to explain it to her, but I was crying so hard and shaking that she couldn't understand me. She told me it must have been a bad dream and tried to comfort me, and she held me until I eventually fell asleep. The next morning, I tried to tell my mom what happened, but she again dismissed it as a bad dream. Maybe it was. The funny thing is that other members of my family mentioned that morning, that in the night, they either heard what sounded like yelling in the hallway, or they asked if there was a dog in the house because they thought they heard growling downstairs. These events happened in the winter of 1998. They're my first and only experience of this kind. We were driving returning from a 1000 kilometer, 600 miles trip. Our plan was to stop halfway, have dinner and find a place to stay. We left rather late and it being winter, it was getting dark and cold. There wasn't much visibility as it was foggy. We decided to stop at this small town with no more than a thousand inhabitants. The few motels were booked out, and we had to keep driving. However, just out of town was this mid-19th century two-story Victorian-style house. It converted to a B&B, and it had a vacancy sign outside. We parked in the driveway and made some inquiries. We were greeted by a short man in his mid-forties, wearing reading glasses and what seemed like a wig. I imagined he would be the owner. "'How can I help you? Please come in as it's getting cold. We have the fireplace on,' he said. "'We're after a room for the night and some dinner. Do you have any rooms available, and how much for a night?' The house has five rooms, all vacant tonight, and each costs $200 a night, including breakfast. I looked at my girlfriend. Our budget was $40 for a motel room, and $200 was just way too much. Even though it was probably worth it, since the decoration and furniture were done to the period, and the house did have a romantic feeling. Sorry, this is above our budget. We'll have to find somewhere else. I replied, "'I understand. Uh, Just for you to consider, we do have a small three-bedroom cottage next door. It used to be the caretaker's, and it's empty tonight. You can have it all to yourselves, and we can make it ninety dollars.' We accepted his offer, since driving any further could be dangerous. We were shown this weatherboard cottage, which had a small veranda at the front.' Upon entering, there was a large corridor with the main bedroom on your left, and the other bedrooms on the right. A small lounge room in the middle of the house, followed by a kitchen, and a large bathroom at the back. The man lit the fireplace, showed around, and said goodnight. For dinner, we ate some leftover sandwiches and fruit that we had, and went to bed. We couldn't find any blankets, which was odd given the temperature outside was below freezing. At night I woke up and decided to go to the toilet. As I opened this door, I saw this 5 foot woman, early 50s wearing an old style long black dress, dark haired pulled up, staring right at me. I was weary and I somehow knew that it was a ghost. I jumped, went back to the bedroom, closed the door, and woke up my girlfriend and told her that I saw a ghost. We both covered ourselves and our heads under the duna, and interestingly went back to sleep right away. Around 6.30am, we woke up, had a shower, packed up our things, and went to the main house. The man greeted us. Are you ready for breakfast? But before, if you're interested, I can give you a tour of the house. Since he was almost blocking the way to the dining room and his arms were showing the stairs, we ended up seeing the whole house. It was creepy. After breakfast, we paid and then left. Jeez, that man was strange. Didn't you find him strange? I said to my girlfriend, Which man are you talking about? She replied, The owner. Who else? I never saw any man, and the owner was a woman. She described the woman, and she had nothing to say about the man. It was better to forget this whole episode, we concluded, to never mention this to any of our friends as they would just think we were crazy, and we then laughed it off. Around 2016, I remembered the story and did a Google search, and I found the B&B. To my surprise, In the About Us section, there was a picture of the original owners, a middle-aged couple, and the woman was the owner, wearing the same dress and with the same hairdo, exactly like I saw her. It gave me goosebumps. I'm not sure if this event involved aliens, or ghosts, or something else entirely, but I still remember this event quite vividly, and I'm not sure how to explain it. I'm a skeptic, but open-minded to consider possibilities outside the realms of science to explain this, since I can't think of any scientific explanation myself. This event happened roughly eight years ago. I was approximately seven or eight at the time. My parents had been fighting and my dad was kicked out of the house. I'd been sent to bed. I slept in my parents' room facing the window which had a gap between the set of blinds. The blinds were white, and any insect or bug that climbed up the window outside would have its silhouette reflected on The blinds. There was a tapping coming from the window, and my dad appeared from the neck up through the gap in the blinds outside said window. I could see a small bit of the shirt he'd been wearing earlier, though. Problem with this is, the bedroom window was on the second story. The only thing below it was plants from the garden, There were no footholds or trees or anything like that that could have enabled my dad to climb up to that spot. He started talking to me, making gestures to go along with his words, I think speaking to a small child and doing actions to go along with your words so they understand better. He told me not to let my mom know he was there and that he was going to sleep in the garage. Problem with this is, my dad wasn't speaking aloud. It was more like his voice was talking very clearly in my mind. I'm also mostly deaf, 35% hearing, so there's no way I would have heard him so clearly, especially not through a window with cars driving down the street. The last thing I remember of him speaking to me it was him making an action of going to sleep and telling me to close my eyes. I closed my eyes only partially, leaving them open enough to witness my dad scuttle onto the rooftop with just his arms, like some strange animal. I vividly remember that his body ended at the torso, watching his silhouette behind the blinds as he moved. My dad certainly had legs, and certainly didn't move like whatever this thing was. I immediately rushed to the living room and told my mom that my dad had been outside my window and climbed onto the roof. She went outside with a flashlight to check and found no evidence of anybody there. No footprints, no disturbances of the dirt or plants in the garden, and no marks on the window and nothing in the garage. My dad came back to the house the next morning and seemed utterly confused when I asked him why he was outside my window the night before. He showed me and my mom proof that he'd been at a hotel all night. I believe the proof was a calling card with the name and phone number of the hotel. I don't recall exactly, but it was definitely something to do with the hotel. I still insisted that there had been someone outside the window, so... My mom and dad both went to check that morning and still found nothing, and told me to stop making up stories. I've thought about this a few times over the years, and I still can't find a plausible conclusion for what I encountered. The one thing I know for sure is that I was not asleep nor hallucinating. I've never experienced hallucinations or dreams like this in my life. It was far too real for me to have been sleeping. Anybody able to shed any light on how to explain this? This took place a few years ago. I was 12 years old. My cousin, my aunt, my sibling, and I had flown to our home country for the summer holiday. We usually spent a few weeks there whenever we did that. I lived in my home country for a good portion of my childhood, so I still had some friends there that I saw when I visited. One of those friends was a girl, a year older than me. Her name was Josie. Josie, Angie, my older cousin by one year, and I had been out cycling like we did every day of our vacation. We were cycling down the usual back alleys of the suburban town that we lived in, We were cycling down to the river to get some relief from the summer heat. Josie was first, she was leading us, and Angie and I were right behind her. Angie was the first one to spot him. The road we were taking was long and had a fenced-off field to its right. At the gate to that field stood a man. He was wearing a red t-shirt and dark pants. He was slouched, his hands outstretched in front of him like he was begging the Lord to answer his prayers. As we got closer, we noticed that he had a shiny object in his right hand. There was blood running down both of his forearms. The man had slit his wrists with the blade that he was holding. We sped up and passed him, stopping at the end of the road and then looking back at him. He was stumbling a little, probably from the blood loss. I watched him throw the knife onto the ground. I wasn't sure whether the blade made it to the other side of the metal fence or not. The three of us watched him walk in the opposite direction. We decided to continue on down towards the river. We passed in between the cornfields, left our bikes near the dirt road, and walked through the brush to get down to the mini-beach by the river. We took our shoes off, and stepped into the water, playing around as we did almost every day of the summer. An hour or two had passed, and we were on our way back from the river. We cycled our bikes from between the cornfields and onto the same road where we saw the man. The man was back at the gate. He was bent above the grass, swishing his bloody arms through the overgrown grass, as if searching for something... Like, the knife. We decided not to stick around to see what happened next. We didn't know if the man was in his right mind. He could have tried to have hurt us. Even though we were on bikes and he was stumbling on his own feet, we were just three little girls who were alone. We didn't take the risk. We didn't see the man again. My cousins, my aunt, my siblings, and I had flown back to our country of residence. On October 13th of 2016, at around 5.48pm, I received a message. Josie said she had seen the man again. She didn't give me any more details. She told me that she saw him around the same area, but nothing else. And Neither one of us have seen or heard of the man since... We moved into my current house over nine years ago. Right beside our yard is a very old convenience store coal mining shop. I'm not sure how old it was, but it was built sometime in the 1950s. The building had burned down before we had even moved in. Now, I've had most of these experiences inside the house... I've seen several shadowy figures in my room. Specifically, the one I've seen the most is a child who looks around the age of five. I've looked into the history of my house and found nothing. However, I've seen and felt multiple things. I've felt something tap on my shoulder or pull on the bottom of my shirt when I'm home alone. Something has called out my name several times, but one thing that stands out and terrifies me the most is a big black figure with red eyes that I always find in the corner of my room between my bed and desk. And it's always staring at me. To this day, I've only had it say two things to me. The truth isn't what you think, and don't go into the woods alone. It still doesn't make any sense to me, and it's been about three months since that happened. That didn't stop me from going on the hiking trail that used to be a mining trail that leads to an abandoned mining area behind my house with my sister, who was fourteen. However, my sister went into the woods alone one day on the hiking trail, and she was gone longer than usual, so I started texting her a bit, worried. After a bit, I decided to go look for her, texting my dad telling him I was joining her on the hiking trail, and not to alarm him, thinking that she was just chilling out by her sitting spot. As I was walking down the trail past the small wooden bridge, I noticed at the other end of the road, beside the trail, was that same black figure that stood next to my bed. I then hear my sister yelling for me from behind. I turned to her and then turned back, but the figure was gone. She asked why I was out at the bridge, and I answered with, I was looking for you. You weren't answering your phone, so I got worried. She looked at me and said, I was going to head to my usual spot, but... Once I got across the bridge to the deer hunting trail, I saw some guy walking down it. I couldn't recognize him, though. I looked at her in shock and explained what I had just seen. We both decided to head back home for the day, still spooked. It's been a while since that encounter, but I have no doubt that what we saw that day was not normal. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. Thank you so very much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed these scary stories. If you want to support the channel further, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel. Just search As the Raven Dreams on YouTube and subscribing. You can also join the channel or go to my Patreon for early access to all of my content. All of it's appreciated and never expected. But if it happens, thank you. All that said, friends... I will see you on the next episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. But of course, until then, sleep well.